بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We praise and we thank Allah Azza wa Jal uh, As we continue with our durus on Bulugh al-Maram As we are going through the commentary of Shaykh Ibn Uthaymin Rahimahullah From his book Fathu Dhil Jalal wal Ikram So we continue again from Kitab salah The chapter of Imamah and Jama'ah Salatul Jama'ah and Imamah طيب, so the first hadith of the evening reads عن زيد بن ثابت رضي الله عنه قال احتجر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حجرة بخصفه فصلى فيها فتتبع إليه رجال وجاءوا يصلون بصلاته الحديث وفيه أفضل صلاة المرء في بيته إلا المكتوبة متفق عليه زيد بن ثابت رضي الله عنه he says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made a small room for himself with matting, with a carpet. فَصَلَّى فِيهَا Of course a carpet in their times, not something similar to what they would have. فَصَلَّى فِيهَا And he prayed in this, this room. فَتَتَبَّعَ إِلَيْهِ رِجَالِ And then some people, they came and they, they followed him in this salah. وَجَاءُوا يُصَلُّونَ بِصَلَاتِهِ And they came and they prayed with him. Al-Hadith. Meaning, when they, when, uh, this is just a part of the Hadith that, that has been narrated. وَفِيهِ And part of this lengthy Hadith, it says, أَفْضَلُ صَلَاةِ الْمَرْءِ فِي بَيْتِهِ That the best salah for a person is the salah that is prayed in his bait, in his home. إِلَّا الْمَكْتُوبَةِ Except for the Obligatory prayers. Muttafaqun alayhi. Hadith is agreed upon, meaning it's in Bukhari and Muslim. So he made this room for himself in the masjid. He cordoned off a part of the, of the masjid for himself as a small room. And he made salah in there. When did this happen? This actually happened during the month of Ramadan. In the month of Ramadan, he had this room that he placed for himself. And he prayed in there, meaning the Qiyamul Layl prayers. Right? And so the people came and they... They heard about this and they came to pray with him. They followed him in the prayer, basically. Understand? Um, so Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he says that this hadith is again referring to the taraweeh prayers. And that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, he prayed like this. The second night, more people came. The third night, word spread and more people came. And then what happened? What did he do after this? Stayed he stayed away. Why? Not to say it's not a sunnah, but out of fear that it would become a fard. Or people would take it as a fard. So out of fear that this is going to become a fard and it's going to become difficult upon the people, this is why he, he abstained. Right? And then he said in this hadith, that the best prayer for a person is the prayer that is done in his home. Is the prayer that is prayed where? In his home, except for the maktubah, the, the, the prescribed prayers. Yani the obligatory prayers, the five daily salah, this is an exception to this rule. 
So firstly, some of the benefits of this hadith. Some of the benefits of this hadith. Number one, Ibn Uthaymin says, it's permissible for a person to cordon off a, a place in the masjid for himself, like a small room. Because this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. Right? On condition, this doesn't make things difficult for the musallis and so forth. Right? But then other scholars said, this, this, is, this, this can't be right. This is something that was specific to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and anybody who's similar to him in their position like imam al-a'zam meaning like a leader like a, a king for example somebody has a similar position like him in, in society it's permissible for them only like a president there's nobody above him it's only permissible for them why because if we say it's permissible for everybody, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to corner for a portion of the masjid and then that masjid that could hold a thousand musallis is now going to hold 100 musallis only. Because that brother's in his corner, that brother's in his room, that brother's cordoned off and the musalla will become a mushkilat, become a major problem. There'll be no space for anybody at the end of the day. So how, how are we going to control it if we say this is permissible for one and all? So we say, no, this is only permissible for the Prophet and anybody similar to him in status, in position. Right? And this makes a bit more sense because we know if we're going to open the door and say, it's permissible for one and all to cordon off a part of the masjid for salah, for his own private space, then this will become a major problem. Taib. An exception to this would be when? For i'tikaf. For i'tikaf, you see this. People cordon off a spot so people can sleep. This makes sense, right? This makes sense because obviously we are the people going to sleep. You need privacy. You need that little bit of privacy and so forth. So this is why the masajid have these things in place where in the itikaf comes, they have a little, small little room for each person. They cordon off and again, yeah, you have to reserve your place because a masjid can only hold so much. And when the time for salah comes, those rooms have to be closed off. If the masjid is full, like in Taraweeh times, like in Jumu'ah for example, the masjid is full, those rooms have to be closed. So the people have to pack their things up again. Understand? But that is something that's manageable. It's only for 10 days. It's a short period of time. For the rest of the year, we say this should not be uh, done unnecessarily. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Secondly, the hadith proves that it's permissible to follow somebody in the salah who did not intend to be the imam. So his intention was to pray by himself. His intention was not to be the, to lead anybody in salah, right? If you join him, his intention was to pray by himself. Is it permissible to pray behind him? Yes, it is. And this hadith proves that because the Prophet ﷺ was praying by himself. And people came and they just joined him. So even though he did not have the niyyah of imamah, of being the Imam, it's still permissible to join him and to join anybody similar to him, yani any Imam, even though they did not have the intention of being an Imam. Understand? Because this is clearly mentioned in this hadith and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Thirdly, it's permissible to have a barrier between the Imam and the Ma'moon. 
the ma'mum, those behind the imam. They can be a, a type of barrier. Because what happened in this hadith? He had a small room that he cordoned off for himself. He wasn't praying in the middle of the masjid. He was praying in this room that was cordoned off. And the sahaba came and they stood behind him, meaning what? Outside of the room. Outside of the room. The second night, the same thing. The third night, the same thing. So they were following him, yet there was a, a slight was a type of barrier between him and, and them. Like a curtain or something similar to that. Okay. <clears throat> so this is something which is permissible. However, where do we draw the line? We spoke about this a little bit last week. Where we, the question was asked about praying via online and so forth. We spoke about this and what happens in the haram and so forth. Right? Basically, if there is something between the imam and, and the ma'mum, like in this case, it's permissible. However, they are able to follow him. What does this mean? They are able to follow him, meaning they can hear him, clearly. They are right there behind him, but there's a small barrier. But they are able to follow him, based on his recitation and his takbirat and so forth. Right? So, or you must be able to see the imam. Or you must be able to see the, the people behind the imam. So as long as this goes on, the sufuf can run right down the road, even around the block. As long as the person who's standing at the back, he's connected to the soft somehow, he can see the rose in front of him somehow, then he's permissible to follow that, that rose. And this is a clear example in Makkah, Medina, especially Makkah, because the sufuf runs sometimes down the roads. We've seen it kilometers up the road. People are making salah with the Imam of the Haram. They are literally a kilometer or two away from him. So yes, obviously in Mecca, the, the speakers go a long way. Right? The system that they have in place goes a long way. But besides that, it's not just that. It's the fact that the Sufuf are connected all the way down those roads. So it's permissible for somebody. He walks, he takes a step outside of his hotel room. Or outside of his hotel, in the road. There's a soft coming right down there. He can stand right there and pray and join with the Imam. There's no problem in this because he's connected to the Sufuf and he can see the Sufuf. If this is the condition, then he can, he can join. If there's no connection, there's no way of seeing the Sufuf or no way of following like this, then it's not permissible to, to follow that Imam. Then you have to pray by yourself and Allah knows best. Understand? Another benefit of this hadith is that it's permissible to establish a jama'ah in a nafil, nafila salah. In a nafila salah. A voluntary salah. This is a qiyamul voluntary salah. Right? Also, we have other hadith where Anas ibn Malik uh, and others, Abdullah ibn Abbas, where they joined Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also in qiyamul layl. Outside of Ramadan, he was praying in his home. And they were in the home, so they would join him and pray with him. So what does this prove? That they can be jama'ah for a, a nafil salah. A nafil salah. Does this mean it should be done all the time? We say it should not be done all the time because this wasn't the practice of the sunnah. So at times you can have a jama'ah in a nafil salah. And at times, but the general principle should we say? Is that it's being done alone. Is that it is, should be done um, alone. 
right? And this is only in, in certain other nafil salawat. We found this practice to be done. We only found this practice to be done in certain salah, like Qiyamul Layl, specifically. Is there any other sunnah salah that, that they joined? That they joined? Tahiyatul Masjid? Can we come in and let's all pray Tahiyatul Masjid together? Everybody comes in similar, at a similar time. But yet each person plays, prays on his own. Right? After the salah, every person goes to his own spot and prays his sunnah salah. After maghrib is done, jama'ah is completed. Every musalli in the masjid prays by himself. Correct? They pray by themselves. Why is this? Isn't the jama'ah better? What's better? Jama'ah or non-jama'ah? So for the sunnah, not in jama'ah, why? What's the evidence? The Prophet didn't do it. And that's the, that's the answer. And this is one of the refutations you can use against Ahlul Bid'ah. When they say that, for example, uh, besides Salat al-Tasbih, that's difference of opinion because there's a hadith on it. But some say the hadith is weak, some say it's authentic. So there's difference of opinion on that. But that we can understand the difference because it's based on an authenticity issue. But when it comes to issues where there's no basis, absolutely no basis, then you could use this as an argument. Because let's say for example, um, the argument of good bid'ah, the argument of a good innovation. Right? So some people would say, well, there's no evidence that the, the, that the Sahaba and the Prophet celebrated Mawlid. Or that they did dhikr in jama'ah. That they did dhikr in a group, the way it's done today. But their argument is that it's something good. It brings about good, you know. Or that um, there's no evidence that they didn't do it. Or similar arguments to this. Right? But if you ask them, what's the ruling on Tahiyatul Masjid in Jama'ah? Why don't we pray Tahiyatul Masjid in Jama'ah? It's also something good. The Prophet also encouraged us to pray in Jama'ah. Just like he told us to make dhikr. He told us to pray in Jama'ah. So, why don't we pray the, the, the Sunnah also in Jama'ah? It should also be good. The same arguments can be used, right? But the answer is, what's the answer? Because it's not the sunnah. That's the answer. And the same with it, when it comes to dhikr, what's the answer? It's not the sunnah. The Prophet didn't do it. Sahaba didn't do it. And the same when it comes to... But, so they only follow this in certain things that they want to follow it in. This idea of, no, it's good. Or it's, it feels good. So why not... You know, open the door and say, well, let's, let's do everything in jama'ah because it feels good. But they will be the first to tell you, how can you pray tahiyat al masjid in jama'ah? It goes against the sunnah. But what you are doing also goes, goes, goes against the sunnah. You understand? Wallahu a'lam. Um, another benefit is that salatul nafila fil bayti afdal. Illa idha kanat al nafila qad shuri'at fil masjid. That the voluntary prayers are better to be prayed where? At home. Except for a certain voluntary prayer which has been legislated to be prayed in the masjid. Those are an exception. Like what? Like Tahidul Masjid. You can't pray Tahidul Masjid at home. Right? Obviously. That has to be prayed in the masjid. Specifically for the masjid. Also, Salatul Kusuf. It's better to be prayed in the masjid. It's, an, it's a voluntary salah. 
but it will be prayed in the masjid. That will also be done in jama'ah. Why? Because that's the sunnah. Why not the two after maghrib? Why don't we pray that in jama'ah? It's not the sunnah. Why don't we? Because that sunnah is not being followed. That's why. That sunnah is not being, not being followed. That sunnah has died down in the city. You understand? So, we are referring to the salah of the eclipse. Right? Salah of the eclipse, for example, is a sunnah to be prayed in the masjid. What would happen was, is the time of eclipse, they would rush to the masjid. And the imam is supposed to recite long until the eclipse is over. So he must keep on reciting until the eclipse is over and then they end the salah. Understand? But that sunnah is no longer, or well, it's not being practiced in our city. That sunnah is, is dead. It's, 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 you know, like we say, that sunnah has died out. And I remember a couple years back, 2011, I think it was, um, Sheikh Saleh Asindi. Sheikh Saleh Asindi, one of the mashayikh from Medina. He came to Cape Town for a, a short trip. And one night we were at, um, in fact, it was Sheikh Yasin's house. We were having some, you know, a small gathering with the Sheikh. And they informed the Sheikh, oh, the eclipse is starting. You know? And the Sheikh was busy drinking tea. And he put down his tea and he stood up. And he said, let's go to the masjid. Immediately, let's go. And we were all sitting, drinking our tea, having our, you know, our things. And we said to him, Sheikh, they don't, there's no masjid that's having this prayer that we know of, that we've ever known of. And the Sheikh stood up and he said, you know, he was standing and he said, but where can we go to pray this, this, the salah? And we said, Sheikh, there's no masjid that's praying the salah. The Sheikh said, Fadal, there's this prayer. So we had to clear up the room and everybody had to stand and we pray the salah with the Sheikh. You understand? The point is the Sheikh comes from Adina. He knows the Sunnah, he follows the Sunnah, and over there they, they follow the Sunnah. Over there they follow the Sunnah. When he heard it's the eclipse here, he said, where's the Salah? Where's the, let's go, immediately. When he found that it's not happening, he said, let's, let's, khalas, let's pray here, and we have to pray in the house. Um, and this is, subhanAllah, again, brings us back to the people of Bid'ah, you know. They give life to innovation, and Bid'ah they give preference to over the Sunnah. So they have their big nights, right? It's the Mawlid nights, the 15th of Sha'ban, the Rajab nights, the this nights. The masajid are full, full. Yet this was never done by the Prophet sallallahu or any of the Sahaba. It's not a sunnah, but everybody follows it. It's their deen. If you tell them it's not legislated, they may even attack you. They'll call you certain names. But when the real sunnah comes to be in the masjid, all of the masajid are closed. All of the masajid are or not practicing the sunnah. So this is one of the consequences of bid'ah, that the sunnah actually gets put aside, and bid'ah gets preference over the sunnah. Understand? Subhanallah. So, coming back to the point we said was, is the best salah of nafila is to be done at home. Except for those salawat which are legislated to be done in the masjid. Like tahiyatul masjid, like the, the, the khusuf prayer, and likewise, tarawih as well. It's legislated in the masjid. Right? Those salah are best to be done in the masjid. Okay? Whereas, 
the rest of the sunnah prayers like the rawatib salatul duha salatul witr the best place to pray it is where is at home is at home and again does this apply to makkah madina where did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say this in al madina he's teaching us this so which means it's better for you if you are in Medina to pray your sunnah at home than to pray it in Masjid al-Nabawi. Than to pray it in Masjid al-Haram. It's better even in those places. Even though, what did he say about Medina's Haram? The salah in this Masjid of mine is 1,000 times better than any other Masjid except for Masjid al-Haram. And what's the reward in Masjid al-Haram? 100,000 times better than any other masjid. But yet the sunnah prayer in the home is better than the sunnah prayer in the masjid. And this is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. Right? Um, so a person, if he can pray his sunnah at home and then go to the masjid, this is the best. And then he can pray tahrir to masjid if he gets there. And any other nafil if he wants to while he's waiting for the salah. Right? For example... Or, um, or he prays the fard in the masjid and the two after the fard, for example, he prays it with at home. This is the best. So somebody, for example, may think, you know, they, 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 people sometimes assume the worst of each other and they see a man, he prays the fard and he gets up and he goes home. And what do they say about him? He doesn't make sunnah salah. He's lazy, doesn't make sunnah salah. Right? The problem is actually with them. They don't even know that. They don't realize that the sunnah is actually to pray at home and perhaps he's actually following the sunnah. So as they're bad-mouthing him and saying, what they don't realize is he's actually following the sunnah to the best possible way. He prays at home. Whilst they are busy making ghiba and, and, and thinking the worst of him, that man's actually following the, the sunnah in the best way. There's nothing wrong to pray the, the, the sunnah in the masjid, right? Nothing wrong praying it in the masjid. But here he says what? The best salah of a man, of a person, is that salah at home. Except for the fard salah. Tayyip. Um, maybe a side point to mention is, if you fear that you are going to go home and, and you are going to be distracted, and you are not going to be able to pray the sunnah, then pray it in the masjid. If you fear, let's say you've prayed the fard. And the two of the Maghrib, you think you want to pray it at home. But now you're thinking, hey, if I get home now, what's going to happen? If I get home, I'm going to be lazy. I know myself. If I get home, I'm going to be distracted. I know myself. Or oh, there's family at home. Or oh, there's this one at my house waiting for me. Or oh, they are visiting. If I get home, I may not end up making the salah. So in this instance, we say, you should know your condition. You should know yourself. In this instance, pray in the masjid and then go home. For this time, it's obviously better. But the general circumstances is, if you can pray it at home, then that will be better and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Another benefit here is that any act of worship, if it is done in secret, it's better than that which is done in public. This is a general rule. 
Any act of worship that is done in secret is better than that which is done in public. Why is this? It's between you and Allah, which means it's closer to ikhlas. If it's just you praying and only Allah knows about it, can you possibly be showing off? It has to be, this, there must be some sincerity in this. So this is always something that's better. It's always better to pray or to do something in secret. Right? Except for that which has been instructed or legislated to be done in public. Like Salatul Jama'ah. So a person cannot say, look, I pray at home because I don't want to show off in the masjid. You understand? That's not an acceptable excuse. That is not an acceptable because the, had, the, the, the Quran and Sunnah instructs us to go to the masjid and pray. So it's not acceptable to say, I'm rather going to pray at home because it's, close to, it's closer to ikhlas. No, that's not how it works. You're supposed to be there because the Prophet said you must be there. That's where you need to be. And of course, you need to purify your intention. You're not going there to show people that you're in the masjid. Right? Um, so that's not an acceptable excuse. The same with sadaqah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the, the people who, who give sadaqah in secret as well as those who give sadaqah in public. We can do it in secret at times and at times we can do it in front of others. There's also goodness in that. But the best is that which is done in secret at times or most of the time. When there's a reason to give it publicly, we can do that. To encourage others to give and so forth, you know. Um, but both is praised. Likewise with salah. Those who pray in the deepness of the night, the darkness of the night, those who pray the sunnah at home because they're following the sunnah and because they are, you know, they have that sincerity with Allah as well as those who pray in the masjid. They have a special status. So this is the balance of a mu'min. This is the balance of the believer. Understand? And Allah knows best. Does this hadith restrict us to the person's home or does it include other places as well? So let's say you're at your friend's house. Let's say you're at work and you're going to the masjid. From work. Right? You're at work and you have an office or you have a place to pray. But the masjid is around the corner. So for dhuhr you're going for dhuhr, Right? Do you pray the sunnah before dhuhr at home? Or in the, should I say in your, at your workplace or at your friend's house? <coughs> or do you have to pray it in the masjid? Or does this only apply to your home? Understand? Do you understand my, what I'm asking? Right? The sheikh says that the reason the home is mentioned because this is what happens the majority of the time. But there may be occasions where you are elsewhere and you can still apply the sunnah. You can still apply this principle. So if you are at the office, you can pray in the office and then go make the fard in the masjid. You can still apply this if it's possible. If it's easy to do. If it becomes difficult, then of course we say just go to the masjid and pray the sunnah over there. Right? The same with your friend's house. If you can do it at your friend's house and then go, bismillah. Right? And this may give you another opportunity, for example, to teach him the sunnah that he doesn't know. Most people don't know the sunnah. Most people don't know that the nafal salah is better at the home than in the masjid. They don't know this. So it's an opportunity to teach them this. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Then the shaykh mentions some virtues of praying at home. Some virtues of praying at home. Firstly, it's an opportunity to teach your children, to teach the family. They can also see salah and so forth. 
And it also brings nur into the house. Right? It, it brings nur into the house and blessings into the house. Keeps out shayateen and so forth. Right? And as we mentioned, the issue of the ikhlas. There are a few benefits that can be mentioned of praying at home as opposed to praying everything in the, the masjid and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Any questions on this hadith? Next is the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu. He said, Salla Mu'adhun bi ashabihi al-isha. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, he prayed with his people, Salatul isha. Fatawwala alayhim. And so he, he, he lengthened the salah for them. Fakal al Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Aturidu an takuna ya Mu'adh fatanan. O Mu'adh, do you want to be a fatan? A person who starts fitna. إذا أمامت الناس فقرأ بالشمس وضحاها وسبح وسبح اسم ربك الأعلى وقرأ باسم ربك والليل إذا يغشى متفق عليه واللفظ لمسلم. So what happened in this hadith? What happened in this hadith was is that there was a man who made salah with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Right? And then this man went home and he came across Mu'adh ibn Jabal praying with his people in his area. And he realized that Mu'adh had been praying for a long time. For the Prophet at times used to delay his salah. And he listened to Mu'adh and he, he became angry. In fact, he said, he, this man, he's almost as if Mu'adh has become a hypocrite. So he went back to the Prophet وسلم, and he complained about Mu'adh. And he complained about Mu'adh. Some narrations say that he recited Surah Baqarah in Isha. And some say he recited Surah Tun-Nisa in Isha. Surah Baqarah is what? Two and almost half Jews. Surah Tun-Nisa is over one and a half, just about one and a half Jews. Right? So, uh, about. Okay? So it's very long. One and a half to two and a half Jews in Salatul Isha alone. It's extremely long. So this man complained to the Prophet about this. And so the Prophet became angry at hearing this. Some narrations say he became angry at hearing this. And he eventually called for Mu'adh and he said to him, do you want to be a fatan, ya Mu'adh? Do you want to be a... Are you trying to be a... A fatan, a person who, who creates fitna, who creates problems, oh Mu'adh. And then he said to him, that if you are going to lead the salah, what should you read? If you are going to lead the salah, you should read... وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا Or you should read سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى Or you should read اِقْرَأْ بِاسْمِ رَبِّكَ Or you should read وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى So he gave him some examples of surahs to read instead of reading the whole Baqarah or the whole Nisa. These are the type of surahs you should be reading. This is the lesson that the Prophet ﷺ is giving. So it's not necessarily specifically these surahs that you must read in Isha. 
وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَا وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى اِقْرَى بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ And the other fourth one was سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى It's not necessarily these four surahs that you have to read. However, it's referring to what? What's it referring to here? The length of the surah. It's referring to the lengths of these surahs. It's about a page. It's about a page and about. This is what you should be reading in the salah as opposed to reading a juz or two juz in a fard salah like this. Okay? That's the hadith. The hadith is Bukhari and Muslim. Coming to some of the benefits of the hadith. Firstly, he mentions the virtue of Mu'adh ibn Jabal. This man was a virtual sahabi. Mu'adh ibn Jabal was one of the virtual sahaba and of the most knowledgeable of the sahaba. Radiallahu And he used to follow the Prophet around. And what he would do was is, he would actually make the salah with the Prophet So he would follow him, make Isha with him. He would make Isha with him. Then he would go home to his people and lead them in the salah. This is what he would do. And he would then obviously now teach them how to pray and so forth and how the Prophet did things and so forth. Right? But so Mu'adh would pray with the Prophet most of the time, then go home and lead the people in Salatul Isha. So what does this also prove to us? That the Imam has the intention of a nafil. Right? Because he prayed his fard already with the Prophet He's already prayed his fard salah. What he's praying now is his nafil. Was the, was the people of the intention of? Of a fard. Of Isha. This is also permissible. Right? And we've touched on these issues over here. Okay? So there's virtue, first of all, for Mu'adh. Even though Mu'adh is being uh, criticized slightly in this hadith. However, he was also one of the most noble of the Sahaba and of the most knowledgeable of the Sahaba. Secondly, we've mentioned that what he would do was is he would pray this, the fard with the Prophet ﷺ, go to his village or his area, lead these people with, obviously his intention is now nafil, and their intention would be fard. And this is something which is permissible. Okay? Um, another benefit is, at times when you advise somebody or when you admonish somebody, it's permissible to become angry if there's a need for that. And in this instance, the Prophet ﷺ, he became, he became angry at hearing what he heard. It upset him slightly because he felt that this wasn't appropriate. And do you want to become a fatan? Ya Mu'adh. So there's also a time, this is like a strong admonishment. Not just getting upset, but also admonishing him and saying to him the, the consequences. You're going to become a fatan if you're going to do this. What does this mean, a fatan? How so? How are you going to create fitna? You're going to make it extremely difficult for people. Right, you are going to be making the salah so long, the salah is going to become a burden on the people. It's going to become heavy on the people. People won't want to come to the masjid. You're going to be chasing people away from the masjid. And many other things are going to happen. What's going to happen? People are going to talk. People are going to start fighting. People, some are going to defend you. Some are going to rebuke you. Some are going to criticize you. And the people are going to become fighting from amongst each other. And who is the cause of this? In reality, it was you, O Mu'adh. This is what the Prophet ﷺ is telling him when he says, 
Do you want to be a fatan or mu'ad? It's an admonishment so that he realizes, you know, what I'm doing is maybe not the best. It's not the best. It should be actually be avoided. Right? It should be avoided. Um, and then he also gives him the type of surahs that he should be reciting. As opposed to reading that long, these are the type of surahs in this salah you should be reading, in Isha. Right? In Isha, around about this, this amount. So Isha, we say is, you are reading surahs that are medium يعني, in length. Not too long, not too short. So Isha, Fajr would be, sorry, uh, Maghrib would be short. Generally speaking, Maghrib is kept short. Whilst Fajr we know is, is lengthened. And then we of course have Isha, which is somewhere in between the two, I would say. Somewhere in between the two, but obviously much shorter than the Fajr Salah. Okay. So Sabih Isma is about a page long. It's about a page long. Does this mean it's haram to read more than a page? Does it mean it's haram to read more than What's important is to know your people. This is what's important. It's to know your people and know your jama'ah. Right? So if you know that your jama'ah, they are able to stand a little bit longer. Two pages. One and a half pages. Right? Then that's, that's no problem. To lengthen the salah slightly like this. Understand? Um, but if you also can see that the jama'ah in general is elderly people. Or there's a lot of youngsters in the jama'ah. Or there's a woman with a baby in the jama'ah, for example. Right? Shorten the salah. The imam must have this hikmah. The imam must have this. This, this capability of, of trying to judge, more or less, when he can push a little bit longer, and when he, when he should maybe just shorten it up a bit. You understand? The imam should, should basically use his discretion and try to always be in the middle, but not too long. Right? At the same time, I mean, again, I know certain masajid, for Isha, they read, قُلُوا اللَّهُ أَحَدُ قُلْ عَذُبِ رَبِّ النَّاسِ أَلَمْ تَرَى كَيْفَ You know? It's also not... You want to read a little bit more of the Qur'an. You want to read a little bit more of the Qur'an. And this also, I believe, it keeps the people focused. It also keeps the people attentive in the salah. Because what happens is the imam reads somewhere else. The, the, the congregation enjoy it. Congregation, they, they feel they're listening to more of the Qur'an. But if every salah is the same surahs, it becomes, it becomes a little bit mundane for the people. You know, it becomes like this, the same thing every time. And I've, and I've seen this actually. I've actually noticed this in certain masajid where there's certain imams that read the same things over and over and over. And then there's a, another imam comes and he, he, he mixes it up. He's reading the Surah Yusuf one day. Next day he's reading the 19th Jews. Next day he's reading the 24th Jews. Not to say he's reading long pieces, short and sweet. But the people appreciate it so much. Because it also has an effect on them that they get to listen to more of the Qur'an. And so this is why I say the Imam must also gauge and, and use his discretion to choose and to read appropriately for his jama'ah. And this is what the Sunnah basically indicates to us. This is what the Sunnah indicates to us, Wallahu a'lam. Taib, the next hadith is narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha 
في قصة صلاة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بالناس وهو مريض. الحديث زبط عائشة رضي الله عنها أم المؤمنين وشين ريتس نريتس تؤس about the story of when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed with the people whilst he was sick. He was ill. So she said, فَجَاءَ حَتَّى جَلَسَ عَنْ يَسَارِ أَبِي بَكْرِ He came and until he sat on the left-hand side of Abu Bakr. He sat on the left-hand side of Abu Bakr. فَكَانَ يُصَلِّي بِالنَّاسِ جَالِسًا وَأَبُو بَكْرِ قَائِمًا So he prayed with the people sitting down. Whilst Abu Bakr prayed, standing up. يَقْتَدِي أَبُو بَكْرِ بِصَلَاةِ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم وَيَقْتَدِيَ النَّاسُ بِصَلَاةِ أَبُو بَكْرِ What does she say? She say Abu Bakr stood up, he was standing. And he was following the Prophet ﷺ in the salah, whilst the people was following Abu Bakr in the salah. Understand this? Hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. So let's get to the explanation. Ibn Uthaymin says, this happened when? This was on the, the, before the death of the Prophet ﷺ, close to his death. Meaning that sickness that he had was the sickness that led to his death. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what happened was is, it's a lengthy hadith. The hadith basically mentions he was very sick and he was fainting and he asked for a bucket of water, like a bathtub of water, something similar. And he rinsed off and he freshened up and he said, had the salah begun, they said the people are waiting for you, O Messenger of Allah. And he fainted. More water. Same thing. Had they prayed, they are waiting for you, O Messenger of Allah. And he fainted. More water. This happened three or four times. Until he said, tell Abu Bakr to lead the salah. Tell Abu Bakr to lead the salah. Aisha said, rather choose Umar. Umar will be a better choice because my father becomes emotional. He's going to cry in the salah and so forth. You know, she's a bit shy and embarrassed. Let Umar lead. He said, Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr was about to lead. When Abu Bakr was instructed, what did he say? Tell Umar to lead. Umar, you lead the salat. Umar said to him, you are more befitting. You are more befitting. And so Abu Bakr eventually leads the salah. So for a few days, Abu Bakr used to lead the salah whilst the Prophet ﷺ was extremely ill. Right? So, whilst Abu Bakr is leading the salah one day, um, The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he comes to the prayer. He comes out of his home and he comes to the prayer. So Abu Bakr is already leading the salah. And as he comes, his, his uncle Al-Abbas, the son of Abdul Muttalib, his uncle, is holding him up on the one side and his cousin Ali ibn Abi Talib is holding him up on the other side. Radiallahu anhuma. So they come, they bring him into the masjid and because of his weakness, he tells them to sit him down. So he sits down next to Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr is standing in front, the people are behind him. He sits down on the left-hand side of Abu Bakr. So Abu Bakr is, in, is on his right. Okay? He's obviously on Abu Bakr's left. So he sits down and Abu Bakr is standing up leading the salah. So what happens is, he takes over the imamat. 
Abu Bakr now stays, wants to stay back, obviously, or at least stop leading because the Prophet has come. So he starts to continue the salah. Whilst Abu Bakr remains standing, the Prophet is now leading the salah. He, continue, he, he basically takes over the imamah. So whilst he's sitting, Abu Bakr is standing next to him, following, following the Prophet وسلم, in the salah. And he's the only one who can hear his voice because his voice is very weak. Because of his, his illness. Whilst the people are still following who? Abu Bakr in the Salah. Because that's the only voice they could hear. So they continue to follow Abu Bakr. They're all standing. The Prophet is sitting. He's taking over the Imamah. Only Abu Bakr is technically following him. And he's the only one who can hear him making Allah Akbar. Allah. Allah Akbar. And so forth. And Abu Bakr would say it out loud. And the people are following him. So we got one prophet sitting, the rest of the people are standing. Okay? What's the problem here? There should be a problem in your understanding here, based on what we said previously. Okay? What was the other issue? Correct. Why is this an issue? Because last week we quoted the hadith where the Prophet said, if the Imam prays standing up, then all of you must make salah standing up. And if he makes salah sitting down, then all of you must make salah sitting down. Right? So some scholars, they said, that hadith is no longer applicable based on this hadith. Are you with me? Some scholars, they went to this opinion and said, this hadith abrogates that hadith. Which means, if the imam sits, you must continue standing. This is what some scholars said. Whereas other scholars said, this is not the case. There's no abrogation that has taken place. Now, the principle is, if we, if it's a, if we are able to combine the two hadith and reconcile between them, then we should do that, and then there's no, re- there's no reason for abrogation. For abrogation means you are taking out one hadith. Reconciliation means, combining means you're acting upon both hadith. So Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said, that's not what's intended by this hadith. We are able to reconcile between them. We are able to reconcile between them. How do we reconcile between them? We act upon both, right. How do we act upon both? Once, one time you stand, one time you sit. No, not like that. No, I mean in one occasion. No, not like that. This was a specific example that happened here. Why did Abu Bakr not sit down? Why did he not sit down? The answer is, as Imam Ahmad explained, Ahmad ibn Hanbal said, he said, if the Imam starts the Salah standing, then everybody must pray standing. Right? And if he becomes weak within the salah, let's say while he's praying, he starts to get a pain, and he doesn't feel well, and he sits down, the rest of the jama'ah must pray standing. But if he starts the salah sitting down, then the whole salah you have to pray sitting down. 
So the first hadith that we discussed last week said, if the imam prays standing up, everybody must stand up. It means it refers to the beginning of the salah. If the imam starts the salah standing up, must all pray standing up. If he starts the salah sitting down, you must all pray sitting down. Understand? If he decides to sit down within the salah, you remain standing. You remain standing. What happened in this hadith? They were following Abu Bakr, who was standing. The Prophet ﷺ took over the imamah in the middle of the salah. So therefore they have to continue the way that they started, which was standing. Therefore Abu Bakr did not sit. Understand? Therefore Abu Bakr did not sit because he started the salah standing up. Had the Prophet been there for the beginning of the salah and he sat down and started, they would have all prayed sitting down. Understand? But because he came in the middle of the salah and he, and he, sta- and he was sitting down, this is why they remained standing. And this is how they made jam' of the hadith. This is how they made, they reconciled between the two hadith. And in this way, both hadith are acted upon. This hadith is acted upon in its context. And the other hadith is acted upon in its context. Understand the, the mas'ala? So if the imam starts the salah standing up, and in the fourth rak'ah he decides to sit down because he has a back pain, what does the rest of the jama'ah do? They keep standing. If the imam starts the salah sitting down, what does the jama'ah do? They start the salah sitting down and they stay seated the whole salah. This is how it should be. Because they have to follow the imam. Understand? And they basically have to stay upon that which they started upon. If you started standing, stand. If you started sitting, sit. Are you with me? And Allah knows best. So this year was a specific case. Where the Prophet took over the imamat, sitting down, whilst they already started. Whilst they were standing, and this is why they continued, continued standing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, from the benefits of this hadith is... Yes, because they said that first hadith is abrogated by this hadith of the Prophet Abu Bakr. So what do you do if you get into a masjid and that happens? So as a jama'at, do you follow the jama'at or do you follow what your opinion? So meaning, um, um, when I say your opinion, you accept it. I understand what you're saying, yes. So you find that most, uh, say 99% of the masjids stand now you know that's mostly not the same. Mm. So what do you do? Follow the sunnah. Follow the sunnah. Because um, following the jamaat also, it's an opinion, right? So it's also not going against... Following the jamaat, there's no reason so to follow the jamaat, basically. But even if you follow the jamaat, it's also you are still following an opinion of some of the scholars which is yes look we wouldn't say your salah is invalid or anything according to that but obviously you want to do what's best and in this case I would say you follow the correct view which is to follow the sunnah that would be the best thing to do and Allah knows best you know and afterwards people might discuss it and so forth and you say look this is the view that I follow if the imam started while he was sitting I'm going to sit 
And if the Imam sat down during the Salah, I'm going to continue standing. Because this is what the two Ahadith teach us. Do you understand? If you're going to engage, you must have the knowledge of engagement though. That's very important, right? Meaning you must know the Mas'ala properly. Then you can engage the people on this in a nice way. Teach them and so forth. Otherwise, just say, look, difference of opinion. And you basically carry on. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, a benefit from this hadith is that uh, the imam can, if he comes in, he can take over the imamat. Right? And this applies to the, the imam of the masjid. Or the imam of the, of the place, for example. Right? This, he can do this as is proven by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Okay? And yet the salah continues. Salah doesn't start from over. Salah continues and it does not start from, from over. So the Sheikh gives an example. And he says, if the imam puts an assistant in place, right? And the assistant has prayed two raka'at, the first two raka'at for example. Then the imam comes and he walks to the front and he takes over the salah and he completes the salah. That assistant now becomes a, a follower. He now becomes a follower. And so that imam will pray two raka'at only, complete the salah, the jama'ah will be done. He will then have to stand up. The jama'ah will be done, right? Because they've prayed for. Yeah. He will then have to stand up and make another two. He will then have to stand up and so make so another two. So the jama'ah must wait until... No. He, they will, they will, they can finish. Can they get it without imamat? Right? Didn't you say last week that... But that's something, that's, that's something else, man. That, that's actually another option. That was an option I gave. Remember I said it's an option? And I said we're going to get to that masala again. In, in the time of the musafir and so forth, we're going to get to that masala. And that's coming up soon. So I'll have the musafir. Right? I said that's an option for the, for the ma'moom. Okay? So the Sheikh says, if he prays two raka'at and he completes for the jama'ah the fourth four raka'at, uh, right? So yes, that's what they could do also do. They could sit and wait for him, for him to stand up. So they will stay in the fourth raka'at. He can then stand up and pray two, come back and they make the taslim together. Similar to what you mentioned now, the Musafir. Praying, for example, Maghrib with a person praying Isha. So he's praying three, he's praying four. Similar instance, right? So you can wait in the Tahiyat and then you complete with him. But that's an option, as I said. We'll get to that again. Um, that's what most of the scholars would maybe recommend, or at least some of the scholars. Uh, others would maybe recommend something else, but we'll, we'll get to that, inshallah. Right? So what Sheikh said is you can treat. Uh, don't, no, let's, let's leave that, let's leave that, right? Let's wait till we get there, right? For now, stick to this view, that you wait for the imam, so that you don't precede him, so that you don't precede him. That's most important for now, right? We're going to get there, inshallah. Um, so this is permissible for the imam to do. This doesn't mean anybody can just walk in and ah, I'm taking over the imamat. So they're praying in the jama'ah and I walk in and I think, well, I'm just going to take over. And they go stand there. Obviously, this doesn't apply. It applies to the official imam. Right? Is it better for him to do this or not? not. It depends on the situation. It depends on the situation. Most of the time, especially in today's day and age, 
it's better for him not necessarily to do that because it can lead to a fitna. It can lead to a fitna, right? However, Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he says, he says that when there's fitna, so-called, so-called fitna, right? He used the word tashwish, which happens because of the sunnah. So sometimes you do something which is a sunnah, and what happens? People don't know it's a sunnah. So what do they do? They react. Then after the salah, there's a little bit of a back and forth, an issue. Okay? The sheikh says this is something good. The fact that you stuck to the sunnah, and now after the salah, there's an issue, for example, that comes up. This is actually something. There's goodness in this. Why? Because you have rejuvenated the sunnah. Secondly, now you can teach the people that they didn't know the sunnah. But if the person never fulfills that sunnah, the person will, the people will never learn the sunnah. Do you understand? So this is, this is the correct understanding, man. If you look at it from another understanding, and I'll give you a more uh, common example of something very similar. The dua after salah in the masjid. And this has happened to me a few times. This has happened to me a few times. When I don't make the dua in the masjid. Right? Some people understand. Some people don't. They're not bothered. Then there are always people who are bothered. And they come to you and they say, Sheikh, you know what? Isn't it better just to make the dua? Isn't it better just to make a small dua? You know? Um, Because some people feel this is incomplete. Uh, Or, you know, one, one, one uncle came to me one day and he said, you know, it's, I think it's better for you to make the dua. And we've decided, he tells me, we've discussed it. And we say it's a fitna if you don't. So his words. So we, I don't know who we discussed with, but that's what he told me. We discussed it and we believe it's a fitna if you don't. We came to this conclusion. And I said to him, the fitna is that people don't know the sunnah anymore. That's the fitna. The fitna is people don't know the sunnah. They only know what the culture is. The tradition is, this is what you must do, and that's how you do it. That's it. But what the prophet did, they don't know. I said, that's a fitna. And he said, oh, okay, and he, and he left. Um, but this is what Ibn Uthaymin is saying. The sheikh is saying, if you take a stance, which is the correct stance, and what happens due to your stance? A kind of fitna breaks out. But that gives you the chance to stand up and teach the people the sunnah. Whereas if you only conform to what they want, what's going to happen? They will never learn the sunnah. Understand? Who's going to teach them the sunnah? If you are also following the innovation as the imam, you, the people say, look here, we want it like this. If you don't, there's going to be this, a fitna. Okay, so now you also do it like this. So what happens is, you put the sunnah aside and you follow the culture. Now that sunnah never ever gets brought back to life because... The imam himself decides to follow the bid'ah and the, the culture. So how is the sunnah ever going to be brought back? This is the fitna. It's not the fact that the person who's following the sunnah created some discussion between the people. That's actually good. Because now the people can actually start to think and discuss. And when they come to the imam, now the imam can stand up and say to the people, this is the sunnah, ikhwan. Do we want to follow the sunnah or not? What are, we do, what are we doing here? What is our intention? This gives the imam the, the chance to, to teach the people. So on this issue, Ibn Uthaymin brings this out. 
So he says, if it's better for him to do it, he can do it. And if it creates a tashwish in Arabic means, you know, like a, like a, like a, not a fitna, but tashwish is where people discuss things, man. Ah, oh, did you see what the imam did now? Hey, what just happened now? You know, after the sarah, it becomes tashwish. People are back and forth. Hey, what is this, 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 this. That gives the imam the opportunity to teach the people the sunnah. And say, look, this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. So as the imam, I had every right to do this. Not belittling this man who was leading the salah, for example. But if, I, if he felt it was appropriate to do that, he can do that. If he feels it's better for him just to pray with the imam, no problem. He can just join the salah and carry on. But if, there's a, if it's better for him to join, it depends on the situation again. Then he can do that. And it should be said, that, that sometimes that's a good thing. Because sometimes that's, that gives the person the opportunity to, to teach the sunnah. Whereas if you just conform to the norms of society all the time, th- then you open your mouth one day and you say, you know what, this is actually bid'ah, this is the sunnah. Other people are going to listen to you. You've been doing it all the years. And the other imams have been doing it all the years. Now one person comes and now, he, now he's like a strange individual. So in many, this is also why many of the imams are to blame for the condition of the people because they haven't stood their ground. You know, they haven't stood their ground and followed the sunnah. Wallahu a'lam. Um, let's try to complete this hadith. The virtue of Abu Bakr is also from this hadith. He was put in as the imam. This is also a sign that he was going to be the, the leader, the khalifa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also, there's a this proves that the Imam can actually step back and be the Ma'moom. He could actually step back and be the Ma'moom. This happened with Abu Bakr in this hadith. Um, the hadith also proves that the Ma'moom stands on the right-hand side of the Imam. The Ma'moom stands on the right-hand side of the Imam, as Abu Bakr did with the Prophet wasallam. So if there's two people praying, the Sunnah is to stand on the right-hand side of the Imam. And not, and not actually behind him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Tayyip. Also the Sheikh says, if there's no place in the masjid, you can stand next to the Imam. There's the only spot. That's available. That spot next to the Imam can be, can be occupied. Um, Tayyip. I'm just going to finish this hadith. It's very short. From Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if any of you leads the people in salah, then let him lighten the salah, shorten the salah. For amongst the people, there's a sagheer, there's youngsters, there's elderly, there's people who are weak, sickly and so forth, and there are people who have needs to fulfill. Right? And if you pray by yourself, then you can pray as you please. And then you can make the salah long. If you want to make salah long, pray by yourself. يعني قيام الليل and so forth. But in the jama'ah, you need to think about the people. You need to accommodate for the, the people. A number of benefits of this hadith, saghir, youngsters should be in the masjid. They should not be chucked out of the masjid. Also, Ibn Uthaymin speaks about, if they are there, you can't chase them to the back. Like some of the old people do, get up as my spot. Oh, I want to be in the first row, you young. That's not permissible. He should be allowed to be there. If he was early and first, he should be there. And that's his place. Right? 
The elderly, the weak, those who have got things to do. Maybe people have got, got to go to work. People have places to be. So for you to lengthen the salah can be problematic, right? You can be inconveniencing people. Lighten the salah, shorten it. What does this mean? Does this mean make it fast? Rush through? It means be balanced. Pray the way the Prophet prayed. That's what it means. Pray the way that the Prophet prays. In fact, in another hadith it says, um, the Sahabi says, I never prayed behind any Imam who was the shortest in his salah. Yet the most perfect in his salah than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So that's the way we pray. It's short, it's sweet, it's concise, but also it's everything in its place. Everything in its place according to the sunnah. The sunnah adhkar is part of it. We don't just read the fard and rush through. Sunnah adhkar is part of it. Everything in its place and so forth. Understand? This is the way that we pray. And this is, this, this is not, the sunnah is not, doesn't mean you pray too long and so forth, right? Pray going to the sunnah is the best way. Wallahu a'lam. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.